are live for episode number 116 of the Heat Ratio Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Tixalcatello, joined by always Coach Dave Dixon, Mike Mataraki, and Mr. John Coker, Pittsburgh's finest. And right before we were ready to set this off with some NBA fun talk, because because the NBA, we're not really worried about what may go on. We're talking about some interesting trivia. We have some race for the record talk, which if everybody watched it the other night, the 30 for 30, which was on uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, a great time in 1998. But we have breaking news. And, and sometimes it's what happens. We plan these podcasts out. We plan these shows out. And then things happen right as we're ready to go on the air. And unfortunately, Brandon Brooks, all-pro guard for the Philadelphia Eagles out for the season with a torn Achilles, the other Achilles this time. Just a sad time in Eagle Land, especially for a guy who's basically holding the entire line together internally between the guard and center. And I don't know, what do we do now, fellas? I mean, this this was a huge, huge blow to the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Tone, you, you want to talk about a huge blow and we were talking before the show went on the air from the stat courtesy of Evan Kaplan uh, that Brandon Brooks has started every game for the last three seasons, 48 regular season games, 95% of the snaps played, mm. made the Pro Bowl in each season. The only game he missed was last year's wild card loss to the Seahawks. Now, granted, the birds were basically going with you know, Josh McCown under center for the majority of that game. But without Brandon Brooks at right guard, the Birds gave up seven sacks. Mm. They cannot, cannot, cannot go into this season without sufficiently replacing the big man. Man. And we just talked about how for months, but the man we're going to talk about him, Mr. Jason Peters, the Hall of Famer himself. Uh, we talked about how, you know, in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion, that Andre Dillard may not be ready by the Philadelphia Eagles standards, not by my standards, but because they, they did not give him the vote of confidence. And now we're talking about the right side of the line with a major hole. I'm telling you right now, there is no way in hell Jason Peters is not on this roster within the next two weeks. Just my opinion. You might have a solid point there. Now, I mean, finally, your wish may come true. <laughs> uh, Brandon Brooks is – you don't replace Brandon Brooks. Um, uh, you don't pick up uh, perennial all-pros uh, on the offensive line. They don't fall off the tree. So, replacing him, you're just not going to do it. Um, you might find that Carson Wentz wants to stay injured somehow this year and maybe uh, – <laughs> Um, on a serious note, I mean, unfortunate, really, really unfortunate. And, and you talk about something that Brandon Brooks has done, which is solidified that right guard position, but also the tandem between him and Lane, the, 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 the ability that they have to communicate and stay together and, and, and play together has been, you know, outstanding. And what people don't understand is that cohesiveness is an absolute necessity to, to do your check downs, your, all your line calls, and that comfort that knowing that that guy's going to be there and pick up the stunt with you, that's a big deal. And you, like you said, Tony, you, you lost that with Peters. 
at the left side. Now you lose that with Brandon Brooks at right card. That's a big deal, man. That's a big, big deal. And and it's going to be interesting to see. Stoutland is going to have his hands full with coaching these kids up. I would love to see, and it'll be in for another show at another time, but I'd love to, just, to see the percentage of running plays from the right side of the line as opposed to the left side of the line. Uh, how, you know, whether it be percentage, yards per carry, big play gains, because – you know, you said it, Dave. You're talking about Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, and Jason Kelsey. Those three guys from that from the middle over. I mean, I, I, I guess it'd be hard pressed to find another threesome in the NFL who's any better. And now you take the guy in the middle completely out. I mean, hey, listen, I, I don't know where you go. Like I said, I, I'm I'm calling Jason Peters up. I'm talking to him about playing the guard experiment. You know, he's there for Andre Dillard again, just in case. But I, I'm not feeling good right now because. Now I have a left-side problem, and I have a right-side problem, and I have a, a quarterback who left the last game of his career with a concussion injury. So I'm not feeling really good right now, especially when we're talking about an injury of this significance. Well, Tone, I, I, I think there's a real easy way that you can, can solve this, and you can very easily solve the problem on both sides with the Jason Peters move if you can talk him into playing left guard and basically lining up right next to Dillard and right. you can, you can go Dillard Peters, Kelsey shifts Samalo from left guard to right guard. And then you have Lane Johnson at the right tackle and you don't lose much. Now, granted, you're still going to lose because you know, like Dave said, you just don't easily replace a Brandon Brooks and, you know, and I'd love to get John's thoughts on this, too, because, you know, John being the sort of the, the guru on running and the screen game and stuff like that, I mean, there's there's more to it than just the run game, too. Well, that's well, – John, you know this from Pittsburgh. Go ahead. Well, you don't lose an offensive lineman. Like, I mean, truthfully, that might be the biggest killer. You could lose your star running back. And if you still have the line intact, like all you need is a mediocre guy to hit the hole, you know, and get three to four yards. Like James but, Conner? Uh, oh. like pick anybody. Oh. Willie, oh. Willie Parker? Like, like a star Willie Hall? Oh. Yeah, exactly. How, how, you gonna, how are you going to rip on Fast Willie? Yeah. Fast <laughs> Willie Parker. But, no, nah, but look, I would, truthfully, what Dave said resonated with me, and that's the cohesiveness of the offensive line. One, I think Jason Peters, it is a must sign. He's been in the system. He's been a pro bowl. He's been an all pro. All right. Now, Tony, I, we may differ on what to do, and same, same with you, Mike, on what to do, how to do. All I know is you bring in a pro bowl lineman that has been on your roster for that many years. He got to come in. Cohesiveness is so underrated, like for the average football person, or, you know, or the average fantasy football person, whatever, that that makes or breaks things. I mean, you're used to having the – if you're used to having the same guy to your left or the same guy to your right, and you see a formation, you it's like that – it's it's like you two are almost one, all right? that That's what it is. So even if you don't lose a whole lot by losing a player, but you start shifting guys around, the guy was used to having, a, a, you know, his safety blanket on the right. Now it's on the left. 
whether it's your center, your left guard, your right guard. I got to cover for this guy more, cover for that guy more. Cohesiveness cannot be underrated, but I think Jason Peters got to be there. You don't make up for Brooks. The only thing you could do is try to keep a cohesive unit. It's not about five different offensive linemen at who's at the best of their position. It comes down to you have five offensive linemen and you got to figure out how do they work best together. And to me, if you're on the playoff bubble or playoff or Super Bowl hunt, I don't care about Dillard's um, progression this year. I'm playing to win this year and I'm putting my five best players in the five spots that I think that they build the best cohesive unit. Well, the first thing is when we talk about cohesion is we're talking about a year that's unique. And we've said this on the show plenty of times that this is not your normal football off season. So it's not like you're going to bring a guy in and he's going to learn a system overnight. He's going to be able to form that cohesion with his teammates. So that's another reason why Jason Peters is a must get right now because I hate to say the Andy Reid term that you just said, John, wait, know the system. I hate that. He knows the system. I get it. But it's true. He does know. He knows the line calls. He knows the cadence. He's a guy that needs to be here right now. So this is this is why you have guys like that sit out in their free agency waiting for injuries to happen, just like Cam Newton at the quarterback position is waiting for something like this to happen to another team to where he will sign and lead. So, yes, I mean, listen, this year, unlike no other, is different, and it's got a whole lot more interesting for Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. I do not see uh, Peters moving to a guard, though. I I just find that very, very – that's not an easy transition for – Every every player, it's just not. I know you've seen it done with other role players, but Jason Peters has never been a role player um, with it, with being able to move from left tackle to right tackle or guard, whatever. He's he's a left tackle. If they bring him in, that's what he's going to play. Well, it's all about the Benjamin, just like Pete Diddy said, right? So if he's going to get paid. He has been on record saying that he would move over to guard. And I think if he thinks he has a chance not only to get paid but to win, I think at the end of the day, this is where he will be. I really do think that that's something he's going to do. You know what, Tony? I I do think that Dave's got a point, though, in the sense that he's not going to go to right guard. If if they sign him to play guard, he's going to stay on that left side and they'll move Samalo. I think to Dave's point, there's no way he comes back if he's got to change positions and sides of the line. As long as he can stay on that left side, I don't think it's a big deal for him to slide inside, but there's no way he's playing the right side. I'll tell you what, the one guy that we're not talking about right now, and I know we'll get into this when, John, when we when we do a, a fancy Firebox episode, but is the impact of Miles Sanders. Because we were just talking about how Miles Sanders is the next coming. And Brandon Brooks is one of the best run blockers in the game. And you just lost that. So this this could take a big hit, not only on the production of Miles Sanders, but the thinking of Doug Peterson to say, 
you know what? I am going to use him like a a la Brian Westbrook instead of using like an a la last year, 10 carry to 15 carry Miles Sanders. So I, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of different impacts when we talk about this injury that we're not even talking about. Well, and I, I think you're spot on. I mean, you're two steps ahead of where I was because you started saying the impact to Miles Sanders. What about the impact of Carson Wentz? He, he knows that his whole line is shifted around. He knows he just lost his one of his anchors that he can trust that I don't have to worry about heat coming from there. What do you think he wants to do? Get rid of the ball quickly. What yep. can you do to do that? Miles Sanders. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. So it it, it could, I mean, it, it could work in both facets, right? It could. But when we talk about the impacts, what about let's shift this conversation a little bit because the other breaking news that came out was the Houston Texans, the Dallas Cowboys, and I can't get in trouble for HIPAA law right now because it's already been out there. Ezekiel Elliott testing positive for coronavirus. So again, and if we don't, it, you know, if we we are on Twitter. And we realized that many weeks ago when we were supposed to be quarantined and Zeke Elliott and Dak Prescott had their nice party out there in their apartment, living it up, and now what happens? And, and this is one of my biggest fears about everything, about youth sports, about collegiate sports, and, and about professional sports, is we know that this is going to happen. Let me let's say that, okay? We all know that no matter when sports start, people are going to get the virus. It is still out there. The whole point of why these sports are paused is how to limit exposure and how to put a plan in place to say what we will do when it happens. The problem, though, is it has happened before any sport has started. Do you guys, and Mike, I'll go to you first, do you guys feel this is going to impact negatively on all the other leagues, not just the professional football league, to say, let's rethink this process, and maybe we don't go ahead right as fast as we thought we were going to. Well, it's interesting that it was the the guys on the Cowboys and the Texans because, you know, look at what happened in, I guess it was the University of Houston over the weekend. Yes. There were a bunch of uh, student athletes who tested positive as well. So maybe it's a regional thing to Texas. You know, maybe they kind of let their guard down a little too early, but you have two major market teams, one in the AFC, one in the NFC, that play in Texas. And if Texas let their guard down too early and there's people and players that are infected down there, there's, there's absolutely going to be a ripple effect throughout the league. And not only will it be throughout the league, but there, there has to be some crossover to other sports. I mean, Major League Baseball was talking about potentially allowing fans in the ballparks for games when the Astros play the Rangers because they were certain that the vast majority of the fans were going to be from Texas, and Texas was open, so to speak. You're so, right. so I mean, right there is probably the biggest ripple, and then it just kind of makes its way out from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're, oh, I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to chime in real quick. You know, we're in the Philadelphia area. We have, you know, just like Seattle got hit first, 
and came out of it. You know what I mean? Even before us, Italy got hit first. They got slammed. They were coming out of it when we were still peaking. Man, you and, just went you know, Seattle to Italy. Wow. That's but, <laughs> no, but, but no, I'll just say, man, you went what, what this, way what this leads to What this leads to is Texas over the weekend. I Look, I don't know where I saw it or, you know, I, I would love to give a shout out, but the Texas apparently in parts of Texas or the whole state had the most confirmed cases in a weekend since to date. And I heard from some, you know, someone that I work with in Arkansas, it was the same thing. Like they're seeing a spike, but they may not have seen the spike yet. So like we're saying they're coming down, but they're not necessarily coming down. They're just catching up, you know, where it never hit them that bad. I'm just saying that nobody knows with this thing. I mean, I would, I just want to put in my two cents there opening too early, closing too early. Like the United States is not like you could put a, a net statement on it. And that's what it is. I mean, you could take half the NFL teams and or a third and they're all in different stages, you know, and, and different um, quantities of people per square capita or square, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's just different in every location, but seeing these things, I mean, we saw things with, uh, I, I don't know if it was Iowa, there were a bunch of different, colleges that are seeing it i don't know if we'll talk about the whole ohio state i don't want to jump the gun on no that, I, 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 but, I actually no but, go ahead go ahead because i'm going to bring that up right now because i the, go the point go is it, 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 t- it takes a couple cases it completely different locations completely di- i don't want to say completely different circumstances but you have nfl players that may or may not have followed protocol in a state and you know they're kind of hit with this thing. You have, you know, colleges that are getting hit with this thing, even though we're opening up, we aren't opening up. We're still closed. I mean, you really got to, got to get into the statistics of all this as to what is the progression of the week to week, the month to month, how much testing's going on, what region are you in? But I mean, this thing is not over and, and I don't know how it's going to impact everything. Now, it, it, the, the one of the biggest things is the NFL for the longest time, and Mike alluded to this in, when we talked about Major League Baseball, but the NFL was adamant. Troy Vincent was adamant about, we do not intend to play football without fans. Okay, so that's the interesting part. I think this is all going to change now. I think the mindset is all going to change. And, Dave, I want to ask you, because John brought this up, and John brought it up completely about Ohio State. And, and I had to talk because I want to ask you about it. Because obviously as being a, you know, a, a, a high school coach and, and, and knowing how to deal with players, and this is not that far away when we talk about the collegiate level, the waiver, okay, what they call the Buckeye Pledge, where it's asking players to pledge to take responsibility for their own health and help stop the, the spread of COVID-19. The document goes on to warn athletes that, Although the university is following the coronavirus guidelines issued by the CDC and other experts to reduce the spread of infection, they can never be completely shielded from all risk of illness caused by COVID-19 or other infections. They're asking for all their players, which they all did, to sign this waiver. And the other impact of that is that if they are caught not following guidelines, they will be removed from the program. I'm curious to see what you feel 
about this? How do you do you think this is something that will uh, will catch on to other universities? Is this something that will become standard as the years you know come by? I mean, I just went to an orthodontist appointment with my child today, and I had to sign something just to this effect. So, you know, is this the new norm when we talk about collegiate sports? What do you think, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there you're going to be expected as a young person to follow a certain protocol. And absolutely at that level, division one sports, they're paying you to go to school there and they're expecting you to be able to perform. And part of that expectation to perform is going to be follow rules and staying healthy. And if you do follow all the rules and you get sick, that's going to be a different thing. But Think about what you just said there. They're going to expect you to follow the rules, and if you don't, you're going to be possibly removed from the team. Now, with that said, you're, if you don't follow the rules, think of how many people you're jeopardizing and getting sick, not only yourself, but the rest of your team, right? And the impact of you not following the rules would cause. So I absolutely believe that that is going to be uh, part of the standard and part of the, the protocol for <clears throat> all the way down to youth sports. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, Alabama just had how many kids sick a couple weeks ago? Did you, anybody hear that? They had like no. six, seven, eight kids. Well, it's like eight kids, yeah. Really? Yeah, that, that were tested positive for, for COVID. So, wow. Um, I mean, this thing <clears throat> is not going away. People are going to have to learn how to handle it. Um, and teams are going to have to learn how to deal with it if you want to move forward. If you don't want to move forward, then, you know, we're going to be in this predicament for a long time, in my opinion. Um, I think I think the more that people get used to this virus and you how to handle it and how they see that you can recover quickly from it, then you'll be fine. In my workplace, people have come back to work following, you said, the CDC's guidelines three to five working days, as long as you don't have symptoms, as long as you don't have fever and things like that, you are back to work and you are allowed back to work amongst your peers, obviously. So they're learning things that, about this new every day. Um, and in my opinion, we need to get out there and you need to be doing these things. Um, uh, as far as Ezekiel Elliott's concerned about getting it, I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the smallest disease that he'll probably ever, ever had, that guy with all the diseases that he probably already has acquired. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Maybe he's talking about he likes to party a little bit? No, I'm just yeah. saying that maybe he's got, like, turf toe or something like uh, that. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought maybe you were talking about all the uh, extracurriculars that uh, Mr. Z hey, may be doing. Hey, and, just to chime in real quick, I wouldn't mind hearing Dave's take. Maybe I want to hear what Mike has to say about this. But at the same time, what what impact does that have on recruiting at the mm. college level, especially when you see how the way colleges handle this over this year? If well, there's – you know, go ahead. I'm on that firsthand right now. My, my son is in the process of being recruited um, for, for baseball, and the NCAA ruling right now for – for that particular sport is you're not allowed to talk to a kid to back to August 1st right now. So colleges, it is impactful. This, this thing has impacted um, a lot of young athletes and um, I don't, I don't understand it, but 
they pushed back. They pushed back the recruiting process till August first for for uh, for baseball. I know that. So, guys, I'll I'll just chime in with. In terms of the dates and what schools are allowed to do and not allowed to do and, you know, contact from coaches and things like that, Dave, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that. But in terms of, and John, I think this is where you were going, will a kid who may have been, you know, been set on going to Ohio State or Alabama or the University of Houston, something like that, is a kid who was set on going to one of these schools going to change his mind because of an outbreak or because they have to sign a waiver or some paperwork or something like that. I'm going to say absolutely not. I think, I think if a kid, if a kid has his mind set on going to a school, especially if it's an Ohio state or an Alabama, they're not going to change. Now, if it's a, if it's a borderline school, then yes, absolutely. But if you're talking a, you know, a, a top 10 to top 20 school in the country, I can't see it. Well, put it this way. No, that's exactly where I was going. I was even talking about, let's say you're a top 20 team, or a, t- a top 30 team or something. You're going to the school. You might not be a five-star athlete, but you're going to the school. And if that school handles the, this situation with the virus and everything, if that school handles it in a way that you don't feel appropriate, how many how many kids are going to transfer? I mean, whether it's an existing, I mean, I don't know. We know wasn't there a couple Ivy League schools that said like we're not doing football this year? Or, oh yeah, or, there's already I mean? school. Yeah, there's but, absolutely. So my my point is, you have guys that are good players. They're going there. They're thinking they're going to be a star. Then all of a sudden, it gets shut down. How you know? And and whether it's from a you know. A, ranked 30 to 60 school versus a top 30 school. I mean, you look at some of these other, um, you know, smaller schools that are in the top 25, you know, football wise that aren't necessarily your big time teams, but they're sitting there. And if, because you're a smaller school and you do, you make a decision on your program that doesn't align with other schools, you're like, I could be out of here. I mean, I don't know. It, It could be a big impact. I, I have no opinion on it. I'm just stating, you no, know, I, a lot no, of kids no. can transfer. No, you're right. And I think I, I think we could probably spend hours on this. And, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I'll be honest with you. I am so over the COVID talk that I, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm being honest. And, and oh, I, I hear you. And it's not against you guys. I mean, this is something that had to be talked about because it's in the news. But just, it's just the everyday. You know, I, I, I just – I'm tired of hearing about it because I just – and the reason why is because nothing positive is coming out of it. So it's just like constant negativity, constant, you know, backtrack, constant backpedaling. So w- w- what I want to gear up towards now is something that for me that was exciting to be able to witness once again. And the reason why I say once again is because when it first happened, we're talking about 1998, when at that time I was about 20 years old, show my age a little bit, and I was watching every single at bat of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa as much as I could. And as a third, Mr. Ken Griffey Jr., which we'll get into a little bit later. But the race for the record. The, to, the, you know, we talk about that. They called it, what was it, the longest uh, the longest yard? Well, Mike, what was, the, what was the name of the, the, the special? Actually, the long... The, the, the oh, long... I, I don't know. It was... Uh... 
the long season or something like that. I, I, to be I'll, honest f- with- I'll, I'll find it. Hold on. I just I was just going to 30 for 30. Right. Well, I was calling it race for the record because back in the day they did have the uh they came out with the the cassette tape because it long wasn't long gone summer long gone summer there you go it was long was in there and the, the, to witness what these two guys did whether listen we can get into steroids we can talk about it okay but we we've talked about that in nauseum on this show and I I think we all have our different agreements but my thing is when we watch these two guys basically bring baseball back. They brought it back from the dead. The 1994 season shut down from a strike perspective. Okay, and then you look at some of the statistics that ESPN showed during the 30 for 30. They hit home runs on the same day 21 times in 1998. In 1998, Major League Baseball regular season averaged 1.9 viewers, 21% more than any other single season. It just shows you what they did to bring people back to the park. And I just want to get your guys' opinion on, number one, where, you know, what were you doing? At, were, were you as glued to the TV as I was? And, and number two, do you still put an asterisk next to this era when we, we, we already know, as they said in the documentary, people that either have admitted it not have admitted it, or people that are in the Hall of Fame who we know that have taken these supplements that at that time were not actually illegal to the game. So what do you guys feel about number one to 30 for 30 that watched it, and what do you feel about McGuire and Sosa? Mark McGuire was one of my favorite players to watch. Big, strong, smashed home runs, first baseman. Um, I mean, what – at that, I'll tell you, you talked about remembering what you were thinking or saying at that yes. time. I remember saying silly things like, I, w- I, I think everybody should be doing steroids at this point. You know? <laughs> like, I, like, uh, I, I wish the pitchers threw, were on steroids um, and they could throw 120 miles an hour every time and see what happens, you know. Um, but <clears throat> it was a great time for baseball, seeing them go at it and, and Griffey being a part of it there for a while, right? Um, one of the sweetest swings ever in baseball. Um, well, that and there was the, the fourth guy who was in the chase for the first month and a half of the season, too, was Vinny Castilla. Vinny Castilla. And, uh, and then wow. he kind of fell by the wayside. But, you know, Vinny was hitting out there in Colorado, and there were four of them going at it for a while there. It was yeah. a great time to be a home run fan, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, Sosa would give the – the V sign, and that was that was for the late Harry. Uh, what was his name? Carrie? Was it Harry? Harry, Harry, Harry Carrie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Harry Carrie. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen. If you don't, if, if that's part of the allure of baseball, I, you know, it's 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 a it's a romantic sport, if you will, and 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 that's how I feel about it. And hitting home runs four hundred and sixty-two feet in the air, and and you know that that's. There's something about that. And those guys were doing it, you know, and you were, you're watching a game. You're like, oh, they're going to hit a home run tonight. And they did. And it was, it was fantastic. I mean, Bush stadium had more fans at batting practice than the Florida Marlins have at a regular season game. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's that, that, that was the, like you say, that was the fascination of the Mark McGuire at bat. I mean, that's, 
It, you know what I mean? It was unbelievable. Yeah. So here's my thing. Hitting a round ball with a rounded bat squarely is one of the most difficult things to do in all of sports. Even if these guys were on steroids, what's the difference if you're hitting a home run 390 feet or 490 feet? The ball still has to go over the fence. I don't care if it scrapes the back of the fence going over or if you hit it into the third deck. You still got to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So, you know, and for me, you know, has steroids ever been proven to improve or proven to uh, to work with hand-eye coordination? That's still, been my argument with Barry Bonds all these years. You still have to put the bat on the ball. Yep. So, you know, a, a guy like Bonds, who wasn't necessarily a a quote unquote power hitter, to develop as much power as he did late in his in his career, I think that's an entirely different conversation. Because when you look at Sosa and McGuire, I mean, these were guys that were power hitters before that 1998 season. I mean, Mark McGuire set a rookie record for home runs. Yes, he did. Now, now granted, they weren't hitting 65 to 70, but they were hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And frankly, that 1998 season, that saved baseball. It did. It absolutely did. And, and the funny thing is, Mike, you know, your argument is what my counter argument has been to everybody. When I talk about Barry Bonds being the GOAT, we're going to get to our greatest home run hitters of all time. But, you know, that has been my, you know, my bitch and complaint to everybody who wants to throw the steroid error in my face. And I think one of the most important parts of that documentary is when, you know, they talk to McGuire and the, the response from McGuire compared to Sosa, right? Sosa was very... He, he didn't want to answer. He didn't admit it, right? He he kind of was like worrying about everybody else. And McGuire was like, yeah, listen, you know, I did, you know, but so was, you know, those bottles were in every other, everybody's locker room in a clubhouse. So, you know, there are people in the Hall of Fame. You know, Mike Piazza, say what you want. That dude was on roids. Well, I don't me, care what anybody says. Uh, Jeff Bagwell. Me. Jeff Bagwell was on roids, okay? They're in the Hall of Fame. And, 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 and this, you know what I mean? So it, I'm sorry, Dave, but no, I just, I, I, no, it's okay. I just feel so strongly about it because you cannot take that error out of baseball. I don't care what anybody says. If you want to label it the steroid error, you want to, that's fine. That, that, that bastard Bud Selig sat there and knew the entire time it was going on and let it go, completely let it go, turned a blind eye because he knew, like Mike said, you said it saved baseball. And because of that, he didn't do anything about it, and so he had to do it, just like Roger Goodell is doing right now with the Kyle Kaepernick situation. Mark Look at McGu- it, Dave, what were we going to say? Oh, hold on. Before, oh, before Dave jumps in there, I just want to throw one other thing in here, and then I'll give it to Dave. Mark McGuire used to stand at his locker and do interviews with the bottle of Andro sitting on his yes, locker shelf. Exactly. And didn't give a shit because it wasn't illegal, and they didn't test for it. Nope. So, you know – you can put whatever labels you want on him in hindsight. Guy wasn't hiding anything. No. Not I'm sorry, Dave. Go, go ahead. But no, no that's a great point, point though, Mike. Just, go ahead, Dave. I feel very strongly about it as well. And, and here's my thing to, to these guys and their point. Like, 1998 wasn't the first year these guys started doing steroids. And this kind of rolls yeah. into being relative nope. towards 
you know, hitting round ball, round bat. That year was magical for so many reasons. That wasn't the first time they did steroids. Barry Bonds didn't all of a sudden just start taking steroids one year and, and start hitting the ball. There was years of doing these things and, and multiple, if not half the league, doing these things. And if you want to put a damper on it, that's fine. That's your individual opinion, right? The, to, to put a asterisk or whatever you want to call it or whatever, but still the ability to play baseball and to do the things that they accomplished – it, I, I believe can only be seen through people that tried to play the sport. And, and I'm not trying to downplay any of the writers and their knowledgeable guys and they're very exquisite with their wording, but the ability to, like Mike said, round ball, round bat, they weren't doing steroids that year. And then all of a sudden they hit 70 home runs. They were doing it for years, but that that's part of what I was talking about. The romantic part about baseball that whole thing, that marriage of those two together was like people should should remember that forever, in my yep. opinion. And the stuff that Barry Bonds accomplished, steroids or not, I'm I'm sorry that I say it that way, but it may never be accomplished again. Um, and you know, he he was probably the best player, arguably the best baseball player that ever lived. So, Dave, I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute here. Number one, what is your thoughts? towards one of your players what do you tell them and what kind of advice do you tell them as kind of like a life lesson when we talk about that era of baseball well I, you tell them the truth i mean you tell them that they took a banned substance that at the time they didn't get caught with but um the and they weren't the only ones doing it you know you, you play you give them uh, a little bit of a defense um but you also tell them that they were some of the greatest players to play um but they they did an illegal substance, Tony. That 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 part is true. Um, if that outshadows what they did, then like I said, that's your opinion. You're entitled to your individual opinion. Now, as far as taking steroids, um, you should never take steroids. No, kid, obviously, no obviously. human um, should take that. So, listen, they did what they did, but they accomplished a tremendous feat while in that process. And it'll it might never happen again. See, so here, here's my thing though. If you look at every era, I, I mean, Major League Baseball players all through the '70s, guys were taking uppers, like like you know, like like Marshawn Lynch eats Skittles. Yeah. Okay. And then you get into the '80s, and guys who had no problem with their attention span whatsoever were some, you know, suddenly getting prescriptions for Ridlet. Yep. Like, and then in the nineties, yep. you get into HGH and steroids and stuff like that. That's not talking about pine tar. That's right. not talking about right. Come on, and court bats. recently Adderall. Adderall, yeah. Adderall. yeah. But I mean, yep. every every era seems to have something. Looking so, for an edge. So what makes that something worse than someone else's something? I agree uh, that, with you, Mike. And, Mike and Smith Mike, said the yep. exact same thing. Yep. Right. What did he? What did Mike Smith say that the eighties were on? They were on. Um, Special vitamins? No. They, that was they, Lenny Dykstra. I'm sorry. That was Lenny Dykstra. Well, the, the New York Met team, they, they, they were all mid cocaine users, right? The 93, the 93 Phillies was the special vitamins. I mean, come on. Pete, Pete and Gavilla, he, he could barely swing a bat, but could hit a ball 500 yard, you know, 500 feet up in the air. Once every, you know, he was, you tell me he wasn't on the juice. Oh, yeah. They oh, were, man. there was a lot of those guys on the, Dave Holland, Wes yeah. Chamberlain. Yeah, but 
Yeah, but, but but Doc and Daryl, if they didn't have their lines, man, the Mets are wow. losing. Yo, Doc and Daryl, <laughs> DD, man, yo, they were they were definitely getting that eight ball on. I'll tell you that. Well, you hear the stories about the big red machine, Cincinnati from the seventies, that guys would just walk into the trainer's room, and the trainer's room had big jars of stuff, like almost like they were candy jars. Yeah. And that and and that's my point. Is exactly what you said, Mike. Is you know, when, when we talked about the Houston Astros on this show about the sign, you know, the stealing of the signs, my whole thing is, like you just said, every era has something. What makes one thing worse than the other is my point. So if you're going to blackball players specifically for what they have done, then you have to go back to like 1920 and blackball players that have all made mistakes. What makes one mistake more than the other. If either way, if you're called you're cheating the game just a little bit, there shouldn't be, ah, he only cheated a little bit. No, you either cheated or you didn't cheat. When you take your SATs, if you get called cheating one answer or 50 answers, doesn't matter. That test is thrown out. They don't say, ah, it was only question number 51. No, they say you cheated, right? So at the end of the day, that's why I think it's the same. So let me ask you guys this. Well, hold on, hold on. Go ahead, John, I, go ahead. I, go I ahead. just want to put two cents in, and I want a 10-second response from each of you. Oh, okay. All right. It, it, is Mike Trout clean? You asked Dave about, you know, what do you tell your other kids? And what do you tell this? Is Mike Trout all work ethic, going through it, not doing any of that stuff and still the best guy in baseball because yes. if he is, yeah, that then then that's your response. Yeah, you know what I mean when you said about the era or whatever. I that's think what he it is. is. So, so that's Saudi. I, I want to hear. Well, that, yeah, we always thought that we didn't we didn't think anything about steroids when it was going on until after the facts. You don't think about cork bats till after the fact. You don't think you know. Uh, so go well, ahead, Mike. I, Mike, Dave, well, ten seconds I, each. I, I know I know people who know for a fact that Trouty is clean, but they also have known him since he was 15 years old, and, and they've seen the work ethic and, and right. the, the training that he's gone through and stuff like that. Where you know the thing is with with Trout is he focused on baseball at a very early age, and you know when the ability became apparent. That's when everything else just sort of kicked in with the the workouts, the coaching, the instruction, things like that. I mean, because we're, we're living in a time now where a kid can focus on one sport and get private lessons in that sport 350 days a year if they want to. And that didn't exist when, you know, when we were that age. And the yeah. other – the yeah, other – yeah, hold oh, on. No, so so I, I'm going to elaborate on longer than 10 seconds here uh, but because that's just in my nature. But my point is to, to what you're saying too, John, about Mike Trout. Why is because it was already done. And if you, if, if, you know, when you talk about, you know, will there be something else? Absolutely. Will somebody else try to cheat the game some way, somehow? Absolutely. We just haven't figured out what that way is yet, which is why you've seen the sign stealing, right? Because technology got more prevalent, right? We, we, we start getting better in, in our analytics. So people start figuring out, okay, well, these guys already did this part of the game. What can we do to get another edge? 
always somebody's going to be trying to get an edge. So no, steroids will not be done again because it's already been done. But the next step into what that edge is going to be, to me, we just haven't seen yet. Snake venom. Injected beneath the tongue to give guys five hours of wicked energy. You never know, that, man. That, <laughs> hey, that, that never worked on my golf game. Hey. Hey, what about you, Dave? Do you, do you, do you agree, Mike Trout? Mike Trout. Clean? Mike Trout, I think he's definitely clean. Uh, Mike Trout is the most – he's the most special baseball player that's come since Barry Bonds. Um, he's capable of doing a little bit of everything. And, and I believe he's clean for a lot of what Tony said. Like, you already know the rules. You already know what you can and can't do. I know somebody posted on our little uh, – uh, comments that Tony and I posted about Mike Trout is the is he the potential goat if he stays healthy and somebody wrote who Mr. HGH yeah I don't know where that came from well hey listen man he's I'm going to tell you that Mike Trout has taken every legal sub supplement that the MLB allows so um, and I don't know that for a fact but when you're training as hard as he does that's that's they're the things that you do Dave, Dave, can you repeat that, please? Because you just hit on something very important. So repeat what you just said. <laughs> what part? <laughs> that, that, that he's taken. He's taken every supplement that is legal. Now, what, now, what did you say the first time? Every what supplement? Legal supplement? Bingo. There you go. It's only, or it's not illegal until MLB says it's illegal. You hit the nail right on the head. Isn't that the uh, I mean, that's 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 part of being knowledgeable and, and being understanding of the rules. And, um, you know, that's you had Lane Johnson got hit with stuff that he was told was legal. Right. He was it, it caught it came up hot. And um, his trainer that he worked with was told that th this is this was legal. Um, anyway, part of well, that. J.C. Romero got hit with that. He bought something at GNC. His trainer told him it was all legal. Yeah. And he wound up testing positive and got suspended for it. Right. So that's a big part. Being around Jeez. the right people that are gonna that that are gonna put you in the right place to be successful and not break the rules. So Trout has has to your point, Tony, he's he's read the past and he's not gonna follow that suit and he's doing all the right things and on top of being extremely talented. So we talk about goats. Let's end this show on something fun. And we, you know, obviously we talked about a lot of things in this episode. And I always like to throw little questions at you guys because I, I like to see where everybody's mind's at. And I think these, the, you know, the, these three names may be in similar fashion on everybody's, but you never know. Maybe somebody throws a curveball here. So that's why I'm curious. So we're talking about home runs, one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting part of baseball. And we were talking about Barry Bonds. We were talking about Mark McGuire. We brought up, Barry, you know, Ken uh, Griffey Jr., Sammy Sosa. Top three home run hitters of all time. Now, now, what I'm asking you guys is not to say this isn't because they have the most home runs. These are – I want the top three home run hitters of your opinion who you enjoyed watching swing the bat, who you enjoyed watching hitting the upper deck home runs, who you enjoyed watching highlights of. What are your top three? So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. I want to know what your top three home run hitters of all time are who are on your list. 
Well, this is probably a little bit loaded because two of them are, I guess, what you would call homer picks. <laughs> but, but, you know, for me, as an eight-year-old in 1980, I, I mean, Mike Schmidt was my guy. Okay. I mean, I was, you know, my formative years in baseball, my favorite player on my favorite team was the best to ever do it at his position. And, oh, by the way, he jacked 548 homers in his career. So my A number one is Mike Schmidt. Number two for me was Jim Tomey. Oh, I love it. And the I reason like that. that I say Tomey is when you look at Tomey, he was just a big old country strong guy with that left-handed stroke that was almost like a buggy whip. And I promise you one of the coolest home runs I have ever seen was game one of a doubleheader at Citizens Bank Park. Tommy hit a ball that looked like it left its bat, went straight up into the air, and then came down in Ashburn Alley in right center field. Like, it, it would just and – you, and you barely heard it hit the bat. It was just kind of like a little click, and all of a sudden the, the ball was just in orbit. And, and then for me, the third one is, is modern. It's a modern guy. It's Aaron Judge. Wow. Just, just because of – I mean, when you look at the, the home run ratio and how far he hits balls – and the fact that he's a right-handed bat, I just, I, I just absolutely enjoy watching Aaron Judge hit. I like that. I did not expect those three. I like it though. I like it now. Now, now I'm curious, John. I'm going to go to you now, and I want to see who's on your list of your top three home run hitters of all time. Because now I'm curious to see. Because Mike, I, I, Mike, you, you, you have some three names. Two of them. I wasn't expecting. Actually, one I was. I, I really <clears throat> thought you were going to go Mike Schmidt. I did. For some reason, I thought you or Dave were going to go Mike Schmidt. Uh, but, but, but the other two, I did not expect. John, top three home run hitters of all time, in your opinion, that you enjoyed watching. You know, I don't know. I'm, here, here's what I'm going with. I'm not even necessarily going top all time. I'm going with. So the, they're your all time. They're your all. Not, time. They're not even my all time. They're the first three names that popped into my head. That's what I'm going with today. Okay. All right. So it was Mo Vaughn, Mo Greg, Vaughn, Mo Vaughn, Greg Vaughn. So let's just start with that. Okay. Wow. <laughs> because they just what? That is funny, man. I like it. First, Vaughn brother. first names that popped in. Popped into my head. Mo Vaughn, Greg Vaughn, and well, actually, I should say that was the second and third. Number one, I'm sorry, Cecil Fielder <laughs> was just a beast. Cecil like watching, I mean, and, and you you kind of see the uh, type of guy that I'm going with. You know, maybe a little pear shaped or something. <laughs> but that, bat, that dude, that that bat speed. That I mean. That bad speed with that upper and lower body power. I'm going Mo Vaughn, Greg Vaughn, Cecil Fielder in reverse order. Cecil Fielder, he was – it was that era. You, we, we talked about McGuire and Sosa. It might not have been quite there. I'm I will going. tell you. I will tell you, though, 
that I remember some moonshots to right field and Fenway by Mo Vaughn. I, I, yes. I, I will give you that. What I will give you, too, Greg Vaughn probably had one of the most stagnant and stiff stances besides Joey Bell. Joey, don't call me Albert. Okay, I mean, those two guys, I mean, they just they look like statues up there. And Cecil Fielder, I'll tell you what, in his heyday, yeah, he could hit. So, again, that's why I like doing this. Three interesting names. Dave, historian, I have a feel. Where are we going, brother? I want to hear. Top three all-time, Mr. Coach Dave. Uh, you know, I, I've, this is a great question, Tony. Three is not enough. I know, me. I know. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go – I can't take Mike Schmidt, although I love watching Mike Schmidt. I was very young watching him, and, and I, I still remember it burned into my brain, the Pittsburgh game and, and that footage. Oh, that's great. Uh, Jim Tomey and Sammy Sosa, you got to love them as well. Um, I'm going to go with guys that, like, to me, like their stances resonated and their swings resonated with me. I'm going to say watching Reggie Jackson mm. swing a bat and hitting a home run I thought was, you know, that was exciting as a young kid. Um, I'm going to go with another one that, that, that might surprise some people. Um, <clears throat> he, he, Gary Sheffield. Oh, that, that's my honorable mention. Me I too. Lo I love that name. My honorable mention, Gary. I love that. The swing of the bat, the flick of the wrist. Oh, my God. Gary Sheffield. He was smooth. The, the, he was the, smooth. Stance, the stance, the swing, everything else, and – my number one, the watch swing and bomb balls. I'm going to go with Vladimir Guerrero. Oh, that's a no, no batting gloves. Love Vlad, pure hitter. Vlad, pure hitter. Vlad's, Vlad's. I mean, I, Vladimir Guerrero. If 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 a Viking could swing a bat, I think that it would look like Vladimir Guerrero. How he held the bat and swung it and just mashed the baseball. So, uh, they're they're my picks. Well, you know, it's funny because. I could sit here all day long, and, and you guys know the love fest I have with Barry Bonds, right? So we, we all know that. But that would be easy for me to say Barry Bonds because, to me, he is the GOAT. So he's in, a, he's in that Rain, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan era. I'm not even going to mention his name. But the kid, Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, you mentioned uh, Right. I mean, the, the, the swing, to see him hit those moonshots in the kingdom, this, you know, just just to see him. I mean, in and, and the, the terrible teams he played with in Seattle, with guys like Jay Buner, you know, bat behind him. I mean, come on. I mean, but this kid was unreal. And then I'm going to go with the crime dog, Fred McGriff. I knew you were going there. Yeah, I love me some Fred McGriff. I, I mean, you talk about a nice lefty swing, hit off the – I mean, this guy was – whether it be San Diego, whether it be in Atlanta. I mean, I know he was our nemesis, but – or Toronto. I love watching Fred McGriff. And then my honorable mention actually was Gary Sheffield. Okay, so we get it. But I, I know it's a homer pick, but Ryan Howard, mm. in the four years when he was at the prime of his time – I don't think I've ever watched anybody hit a ball with such ease so far, so naturally, uh, you know, every single day because he was right in our backyard, right? Just, yeah. just to watch Ryan Howard, to me, uh, was phenomenal. And I want to give one more shot, one more honorable mention to me. Oh, how many honorable oh, Because Dave took my honorable mention to Gary Sheffield. All right, so I got to go Eric Davis. Eric Davis Ooh. to me in Cincinnati. 
Okay, he had at that time at three was it was it three rivers? Well, no, that no. was Pittsburgh. C- what was C- that? C- Cincinnati was Riverfront. Riverfront. Yeah. That's it, right? So him and Paul O'Neill, right, in that lineup. But the, he, Eric Davis, had the quickest wrists I think I've ever seen, and his stance, the way he would stay. I mean, it was almost like Ron Gant, how quick his bat was. But I mean, just just to watch him. I mean, for me to watch him hit home runs. Uh, was it, it was great. That that's I'll tell you what that Cincinnati team. We talk about Chris Sabo, Barry Larkin. I mean, they had some studs on that team in Cincinnati. Well, and you, and you talk about Davis, and I mean, his feet were just as fast as his bat. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you know, because that he, he, he like, would he, put he he would he liked the eight ball too with Dallas Strawberry. They were boys. <laughs> well, yeah, they were tight. <laughs> but you know. But nah, man. Listen, it, this was this was fun. I mean, I think we could talk about home run hitters all day long because the the best part about when we do things like this is to hear the names. I mean, we we talk. To, uh, the funny thing is, I think me, John, or me, Dave, and Mike all had Gary Sheffield on the honorable mention list, which is you you see what era we're from and you see what we're thinking. And it's just you know when you start looking back, especially now when we don't have live sports, to see what we've witnessed. We talked about this last week with basketball. Just to see what we witnessed in our lifetime. I'll tell you, we are blessed. We really are when we talk about sports. Uh, so, again, yep. guys, uh, you know, another awesome week, another virtual week. And, you know, we're going to start getting together real, real soon. I can feel it. But Heat Ratio Sports Podcast number 116. Thanks again for all the support from everybody out there. Thanks for joining us. For Tony Jigsaw Cotillo at T Cotillo 23, John Coker at PGH John 36, Coach Dixon at Coach Dixon 365, and Mike Mataraki at Big Mikey Smalls. Catches at Heat Ratio Sports everywhere on social media. Interact with us. We're very active, whether it be on uh, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. But we'll get at you next week. Different topics, more fun, and everybody be safe and healthy. Tony, put this one in the book. Now I'm doing what I want.